This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Hello and welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza Media podcast about all things in print. I'm your host, Stuart in L.A., talking to you about aliens. We've reached the second installment of a trilogy of extended universe alien storylines that have only been told in comics and novelizations. Last week we covered the six-issue black-and-white Dark Horse comic that was collected and titled Aliens Outbreak, or if you've read the Steve Perry novelization, it was called Aliens Earth Hive. This week we're covering Aliens Nightmare Asylum, the sequel. And that's a title that's true whether we're talking about the novelization or the original printing of the comic. It was four issues that was published by Dark Horse in the fall of 1989 through the spring of 1990. Well, when last we left our heroes, Hicks, Newt, and Newt's torn-in-half android lover were all battling aliens on a distant planet. They returned to Earth, only to find home overrun as well by the Xenomorph. They stowed away in a military spaceship and find themselves pulling away from Earth, watching it as it's being destroyed in various transmission. Now, they don't have access to where they're going. The ship is auto-programmed for an unknown destination, and their cargo is locked away by codes they don't have. So all they can do is sit and wait and see what happens. But I suppose they figure anywhere is better than being on Earth at this moment. Our little Newt has grown up and filled out and prone to wear the kind of skimpy undergarments that Ripley favored at the end of the Ridley Scott movie. And she's having nightmares about the alien impregnating her. She doesn't think these are just bad dreams. She thinks these are premonitions. She thinks that there are aliens on board. And she asks Hicks to help her find them in a bug hunt. There's not many weapons on board this ship, but they do find a few munitions and go searching inside the corridors. Sure enough, there are four cryotubes with humans inside with exploded chest cavities. We all know what that means. And down the hall, they find a dead alien adult. It's been torn into pieces, and it's acid blood used to create a hole. I think this is a rather nifty gimmick they actually steal later for the movies. Alien Resurrection took this very idea that with the four aliens trapped in cargo, separated from the humans they want to infect and eat, they decided to select the weakest member, tear him limb from limb, and then use his blood to create an escape hatch. And so now Newt and Hicks have to battle three aliens. So this first issue of the four-issue comic really kind of plays like a greatest hits of all the things we've seen before in Aliens movies. Aliens hiding in thrusters and getting blasted. They're being sucked out of airlocks. It's all things we've seen before, but the thrill of it this time is that we're seeing that in the graphic novel in vivid color. I think the artwork has made a jump this time around. The black and white was moody and atmospheric and serviceable, but I really think that you really ought to check out the alien graphic novel to get the best out of this story. It's actually rather modest this time. Unlike the sprawl of the last series, this one remains about Hicks and Newt, and I think that without it being a complicated story, it's best told simply in the four-issue graphic novel. It's not until issue two that the plot even kicks in. 
They vanquish all of the aliens, the ship lands, and they're confronted with Colonel Thomas Spears, who is running a military base that was expecting the alien cargo. They actually needed it. They weren't expecting humans. They wanted aliens. I mentioned in our first podcast that I felt like the movie Apocalypse Now had had an influence on the first Alien series, particularly the way that it characterized Hicks, like Martin Sheen from Apocalypse Now. I think that tradition carries on into Series 2 of the Alien comic. I think that Thomas Spears is drawn to resemble very closely the character that Robert Duvall played in the Francis Ford Coppola Vietnam movie. You know, the guy that loved the smell of napalm and would send his soldiers to go surf while the beach was being attacked? Well, this spear shows a similar lack of judgment, a similar delusion, a similar passion for turning war into recreation and a way of bonding with troops. This guy thinks nothing of walking up to an alien egg and planting his face in front of it, or walking up to an alien adult and barking orders at it. Why? Because these are his men. He actually believes that he can create an army of aliens that he can take back to Earth and reclaim the planet. He's going to fight fire with fire. The only way to kill off the alien infestation on Earth is to use alien troops. And so he's conditioned an alien queen with fire and all sorts of strange experiments to get her to tell the drones to obey him. She's the mother, he's the father, and the babies will win the war. And while Hicks and Newt recognize that Earth needs a radical intervention, they think this guy is crazy, we think this guy is crazy. Even his own men, his human men that are watching this experiment unfold, they're starting to lose faith as well. There are three of them that go AWOL. Three deserters that think they have a better shot stealing a craft and going across a crater to find a human colony and maybe warning them of what's going on. Little do they know that Spears has already converted that human colony into a breeding ground for his soldiers. And while Spears goes off base to go handle these deserters, Hicks is approached by Lieutenant Powell, the second-in-command, who thinks that they should mutiny, that when Spears returns, they should relieve him of command and kill all of his alien soldiers. Meanwhile, Newt has become obsessed with transmissions from Earth from a six-year-old girl named Amy. She sees a lot of herself in Amy and wants to rescue her, but she feels powerless to do so. And speaking of impotent, there's also the issue of her android lover. Now, it's kind of confusing here. The graphic novel refers to him as Butler. The novelization refers to him as Bueller. He was in the last Alien series ripped in half by an alien and exposed as an android, but had already made love to Newt and they had fallen in love and he himself did not know he was. And now that he's lost his man parts, he's even more unsure about how they can continue on their relationship. So we really see Newt torn between her loyalties, between this man that she thought she loved, and this girl she wants to rescue, and trying to figure out where her destiny and her happiness lies. Because the comic book is so much shorter this time, the novelist Steve Perry has to expand on it in ways that are, I think, not so much plot-driven as world-building. We learn a lot more about the alien in this novelization than we do in the comic book, We also learn a lot more about the character of Colonel Spears, 
and his backstory. We see flashbacks to things that happened to him in his youth, his first sexual encounter, his taking down of a bully at the age of nine years old, things that don't appear in the comic, but to a degree add to our understanding of his psychotic state. The woman that he loses his virginity to is actually an older marine woman, and we can see in parallel the way that he treats and talks to her is very similar to how he treats his alien queen in captivity now. So he's working out some sexual issues and control issues with her. When you read the comic book, the guy just kind of looks crazy. When you read the novel, you really see why he is in line with the alien. You learn about the fact that in this future, there are some people that are not born to human mothers. They're actually birthed in a lab, and Spears is one of these people. I think the reason why he sees himself as more alien than human is because he shares that sense of not being born in a natural way. That's kind of neat. I also like some of the theories they throw out about the alien. Someone theorizes that it has acid for blood so that it doesn't taste good. That's a defense mechanism for it not being eaten in a more harsh environment. They talk about how drone aliens can go through a hormone storm, it's called, and actually turn into a queen should something happen to the queen. And that's how a queen is made. These are world-building stuff. This is not plot-driven. This is speculation and just kind of neat tidbits. So if you're willing to have your concept of the alien expanded, I think the novelization does a better job. But if you want to get more of a visceral reaction to the story, I think the comic book, those pictures, they just do it better. And because it's shorter, I think the story doesn't have the scope of that first comic book series, it's best to be short. It's best to get through this as quickly as possible. So both mediums have their advantage. I think the graphic novel has a slight advantage over the novelization. The novelization takes us more time with Spears versus Hicks as well. I think it has some better answers. It happens very quickly in the graphic novel that Spears takes command back. It takes a little bit more time, and he has to rely on his alien army in the prose novel. But at the end of the day, they tell the same story. Spears wins his base back. He gets in the ship. He annihilates his human crew. He takes his alien soldiers back to Earth. Hicks and Newt stow away with him. Newt's android lover is left behind. She feels incredibly guilty about that. I'm not sure if we'll see him again. They jettison from the ship before it lands on Earth and make it back to Gateway Station, which is where Ripley was at the beginning of the Cameron movie. And Spears, of course, gets his just desserts. I mean, who's idiot enough to think that they can actually turn an alien to work for a human? We know that can't work. That's just the kind of Frankenstonian madness that will always backfire on any mad scientist. He's the only one surprised when they land in South Africa and the queen won't do his bidding and the drones turn on him and he realizes that the queen was playing him all along. She just wanted to get with her peeps and meet all the other aliens on Earth and get out of his captivity. So she let him think that he could control her and lead her into battle. I wish they had been more creative. You know, I feel like this whole series was rather obvious, predictable. I mean, everything from the battle on the spaceship to this death of Spears is something that was a foregone conclusion. I think it could have worked if this had actually worked. You know, what if they had converted troops? What if he did have aliens under his control? I would have liked to see what that looked like. 
What if he wasn't just so delusionally crazy? Maybe he's crazy like a fox. I think they could have played with that more. They still could have killed him. Obviously, he was the bad guy. But I feel like this run was a lot more predictable than the first Alien series. And just like the last series, Hicks and Newt are left hovering over Earth, wondering how they can really help out. While instead of having the space jockey there, the in-surprise guest is Ripley. Yep, they bring Ripley back into this. She's toting a gun bigger than she is and saying that she's tired of watching the aliens take her world. She's ready to lead an insurgence and reclaim Earth. That's a pretty exciting development. I'm, of course, very confused because, as I mentioned last time, the novelization changed Newt and Hicks to separate characters because it wanted to remain in continuity with Alien 3, the movies and all of that. Well, if they're doing that... How is Ripley here, exactly? Did they just forget all that? I'll be curious to know how this all works out, and we're going to get a final installment next week. Honestly, that might have been the installment to go with. I'm sort of on the fence about recommending this. It goes down easy enough. I like the artwork of the graphic novel. I like the tidbits that come up in the novelization. But ultimately, this is a slight, predictable story, and it feels like it's stalling until we get the adventure we really want, which is Newt, Hicks, and Ripley together again, ridding Earth of aliens. This seems like the real sequel to what we had last week, and I'm very hopeful that we're going to get something of the quality of last week. That said, this went down very easy, it was very quick, and uh, I'd say for diehard fans, go ahead and take a look at the comic. So... Thanks for checking out this installment. I hope you'll join me next week when we cover the last of the trilogy in comic book form. It's known as Aliens Earth War. In novel, it's called Female War. And we'll be going to battle next week. Until then, keep reading. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.